another school goes through the back channels and basically buys that kid right out of the locker room, the tampering that's going on, buying kids, you know, off campuses. It's like, well, what are we doing here? That's former Washington coach Chris Peterson, now in the television broadcast booth. What else is he doing? And what else does he have to say about what he sees in the Pac-12 and across college football? Chris Peterson is our guest on an all-new episode of Gonzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Gonzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. We've done a ton of interviews as part of Gonzano and Wilner, the podcast, but today's interview is special. We've got Chris Peterson, former Boise State coach, former coach at UC Davis, cut his teeth there, uh, Washington, of course, see him on television. He's going to talk to us, hopefully, about what he sees with the evolution of the job as a football coach and what he's doing now and what he makes of the Pac-12. I'm John Canzano. You can reach me and find me at johnconzano.com. That's where I'm writing now. I'm with John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. Find him at pac12hotline.com. Wilner, what do you want to what do you want to get out of this Chris Peterson interview? Well, the problem is that, you know, we could talk to him for 5 days straight, right? About everything uh and and not get finished. So I just there's so much, you know, certainly what the what he thinks of what's happened in the Pac-12 uh the past year the future of college football obviously i'm dying to know what he what he thinks the direction that he views for the game uh mike leach right why he stepped away what what has stepping away taught him about himself i think you know my guess he's pretty intro, introspective uh i think he's going to have some great great context on his own situation and how that applies to the the sport in general I want to know what he would tell Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach. I mean, they coach together at Washington. He knows him. You know, what advice he would give him in this season. It's a weird season for Oregon State for a variety of reasons. And and I also want to know, well, does Chris Peterson want to coach again? Is, you know, does does he have interest in coming back? Or has this game changed so much that it's, eh, it's not the same job that it once was and it never will be? Yep. Yep. What does he think of Washington versus Purdue as a conference game? I mean, there's so much we could ask. There's truth in that. Uh, on that note, let me punch him up here. Coach Peterson joining us now. Uh, Coach, give us an idea, like, what you've been up to, what's life like in, in your ecosystem right now? Yeah, life life is good. Football has started, and I'm not coaching it, but I'm watching a lot of it. And, uh, you know, I still I, – I, um, I work with, with some coaches um, that has really kept me really um, engaged in the coaching world and the leadership world, which I'm still very passionate about. So there's a handful, maybe a little bit more of head coaches throughout the country that I, I, uh, you know, consult with or for lack of a better word, kind of a thinking partner. Um, And so, you know, the problems that everybody's facing in, in this crazy world of college athletics and football in particular get more complicated, it seems like. So that's been really an interesting thing for me to, be involved with and um and then i do you know a little bit of speaking uh maybe once a month i go to a business somewhere uh and talk about you know gold standard teams or game-changing leadership or a couple different talks that i have and so 
life is good. So you don't miss it, huh? You don't miss being on the sideline? Well, let me just say this. I'm, you do miss being on the sideline, but everything it takes to get to that point to be on the sideline, I think that's what people miss. There is so much <laughs> work, uh, pain, um, craziness going on 24-7, to get to those Saturdays during the fall, that the trade-off for me, um, I can say that I don't miss it because of the extreme trade-off, what it takes to get you to those Saturdays to be on the sideline. Was there a moment in your mind where you said, I need to go, or was it kind of a slow burn over time where you were coming to a realization that, you know, I? I, I just don't know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. It, it's, a, it's obviously kind of a long story and fairly complicated, and we won't go into all those rabbit holes. But I, I felt a little bit of the same uh, – I felt a little bit of the same mentality towards my end of my time at Boise State and really could make no sense out of – why I was feeling like I did. You know, we were winning a lot of games over there. And the last probably two years, I started to feel a little bit different. Like as a leader, as a head coach, I didn't feel like I was at my best. I felt like I was cynical and short with people and irritated at certain problems that were really my job to solve. And it was really confusing to me that I was – you know, couldn't make sense of it. And I had no idea what was going on. It's like, why, why am I feeling like this? What, what, is, what is going on here? And, you know, my wife, she even felt it. And she's like, hey, you need to figure something out here. Like, I can tell this is not you at your best. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And anyway, so I, I didn't really know what it was or other than, you know, something needed to change. And so along comes you, Dub, and thinking, well, maybe I just need a new set of problems type of mentality. <laughs> kind of embarrassed to sit here and say that I think – me picking up a new set of problems is going to solve my problems when I'm really the problem, but I didn't have clarity on that at, at that time. And so then come to UW, you know, the first couple of years, I just kind of describe as, you know, pretty much numbing and blurring, you know, just trying to get everything aligned in terms of how we think it should look. And that's a heavy, heavy lift. And so you just go to work and, you know, everything you got to get everything, you know, all systems go in the same direction and, you know, I remember being so surprised it was taking as long as as it did. And then by the third year, we kind of start to hit our stride. But then the fifth year of probably going, you know, played in a couple of good bowl games. And, you know, even after playing in the Rose Bowl, that was the time that it really hit me that um, my whole life, that was the game that I wanted to get to. It wasn't the college football playoffs because that wasn't even around for most of my life. It was always about, you know, thinking back in the day, thinking, boy, that would be really cool if I could ever play in a Rose Bowl. But when you go to, you know, little old UC Davis, you're probably not going to a Rose Bowl. So when that didn't happen, you get into coaching and you think, yeah, you know, that would, that would be an interesting, you know, place to go. That'd be a really cool goal. And so we finally make it there. 
And again, long story short, that whole looking back on it after playing in it um, probably two months later, um, did not enjoy the week. I was extremely nervous on the matchup. I thought Ohio State was one of the best teams in the country, that they should have been in the college football playoffs. They just played one bad game, and so they didn't make it into the college football playoffs. But I thought that they were really, really good, and I was nervous about the matchup. So the whole week, I'm nervous about that. And then we go out and we don't, um, you know, the game's close at the end, but it wasn't really that close. And so that was such a hard loss. And, you know, just miserable after that whole thing. Um, And it took me a couple months to kind of get my bearings again and then kind of start to realize, like, how how could it be this miserable? I mean, you got to the game. You can't all be about just winning all the time. And you already learned out of Boise that that wasn't going to be the ticket, but still not getting good clarity. And then fast forward to the last season, towards the end, I was having those same feelings of, like, I'm not at my best. This isn't working. I'm not enjoying this job like I should, and I have no clarity on why this is happening. And the only way that I knew that I had a chance to get clarity was to step away. And at that time, I didn't know if I'd come back to coaching or not, but I knew that I just needed to do it for the sake of the greater good for everybody at Washington, for those kids, for the coaches. And so I did. So I, I stepped away, and um, since that time, I've you know got a lot of clarity on why things can get off track. And this is some of the work that I do with some of the coaches that I – I consult with. Are you trying to help them avoid the path you went down emotionally, psychologically? Hundred percent. That's just a portion of what you know uh, of what I do with them. But to me, that's a real passion because it is a crazy hard job. Twenty four seven, three sixty five. I mean, the you know, there's almost no rules now in college football. And just the lack of structure and the time commitment and all those things, um, you know, we can be our own worst enemies at times. And, you know, if there's more time to use, we'll use it. And, you know, that doesn't make us better. That doesn't make our people better, us better. But yet that's kind of how we think we're going to solve problems. If one thing that football coaches and a lot of coaches are known for is like, hey, the way we're going to solve problems is work more, work harder, overwork our people, all those type of things. And that, that, that's definitely not the best way to go. I knew that at the time, but we're still probably working too much uh, and, and probably working everybody around the, the, the program too much that, you know, didn't help us. What do you tell them? A coach, this, it's crazy. Somebody, you're talking to a coach and they say, Chris, it's crazy and it's getting crazier. Do you have any advice for me that, to deal with this? <laughs> that's a long there's you know you can tell there's a long list of advice that i would have um yes i do i mean i know exactly what they're going through i know exactly you know i think how they're feeling um the coaches that i talk to even administrators that are in the thick of this this thing there's not a lot of people that are really feeling a ton of joy and fulfillment in this business right now and, you know, that was the one thing that I just really realized, that life is just too short. And you can grit your teeth and get through a lot of things. But you're going to look back. I just felt like I was going to look back on this and go, oh, man, what did I do? I'm never getting those years back. And I was just gritting my teeth getting through it. And I just was not going to have that. 
And so I stepped away. And so that's some of the stuff. Like, I know when people are like, oh, this is, I mean, I'm just feeling so much pressure and I'm feeling anxiety and I'm feeling like this, um, you know, like, are we going to ever figure this out? And the rules keep changing on me and there really are no rules. And so how do we operate with that? And so I understand that completely what that feels like. And I have tremendous compassion and empathy for those going through that. And I just try to share some of the things that I've learned because I've been able to step away and get a lot of clarity. You know, when you step away from the problem, it helps you really get perspective. I mean, you guys know how, you know, it's almost easier to solve someone else's problems than your own mm-hmm. problems. Somebody would say, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm worried really, it makes sense. Is my family this or this at work? And we're thinking, well, just do this, this, and this. This isn't that big a deal. But, <laughs> you know, that's because you have perspective. And, and it's very easy to lose perspective in this environment that we're in right now with college athletics. When were you having the most fun coaching? When I was at UC Davis, when I was 23 years old, mm-hmm. um, when I would go out to practice and I'd wear like a Michigan sweatshirt and San Francisco 49er hat on and was just out there coaching for the love of the game and the kids. And after practice, we'd go home and come back in the morning and say, okay, what are we going to do today? And there was no, we didn't even film practices back in the day. And because um, videotape was just coming out that everything was 16 millimeter. And so then we started kind of filming practices. And, but, you know, you look back and, like, I, honest to God, like, the gear didn't matter. Now you couldn't go out and feel without wearing whatever brand, you know, sponsors your school with the logo and everybody's wearing the same stuff. And it was just like we just worried about what was important back then, like loving the kids up and coaching them as best we could and enjoying the sport for the greater for – the, for the just the – yeah, experience of playing that. And so, yeah, that's probably when I had my most fun. Chris, we have got, I mean, there's a ton we could talk to you about, but certainly the thing that's looming over everything these days out here is, is the fate of the Pac-12. Can you walk us through your, mm. you know, what you have thought starting, you know, last summer when you, you hear USC and UCLA are leaving and then just, you know, your thoughts up until, what was it, August 4th? When, when the whole thing collapsed and, and going forward now this season? Yeah. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> trying to think back. Because I mean, you I grew up with first, the Pac-12, right? I mean, My dad was a junior college football coach his entire life, my entire life. Um, and so I grew up around football forever. And, and I've always lived on the West, and so I've always been a, you know, a West Coast guy and certainly a Pac-12 fan. I mean, I've seen the Rose Bowl, you know, like a, that's what I'm saying. Like, I've, I've seen the Rose Bowl on TV since I'm, I think, five years old and probably never missed one ever. Um, so, yeah, I've always been about the West and this conference. I, I remember when I first heard of USC and UCLA were going to the Big Ten, I was thinking, oh another shot to West Coast football. That's what I thought. And and not only West Coast fo- football, but for the greater good of the game. Because, you know, you're seeing all these recruits pile out, heading back, you know, east, south, east. And so now, you know, two big marquee programs are, you know, going to be affiliated there. It's like, well, how many more of these good high school players are going to continue to stay? Because I think for to make the game of uh, college football even healthier – you want the West to be all about football. You know, as you guys have reported, we've all talked about it. The culture is so different out here. So many more things to do in the South and a lot of the Midwest. It's all about football, college football. 
And so that's just a little bit different. And then you factor in the time change, the time zones where we're going to play the majority of our time in the evening time. That's, those are other two really hard things to have to deal with out here um, from a fan perspective. And so when I hear about these, I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is going to, this could even hurt West Coast recruiting, you know, keeping some of these good players here in the West because I just think you want parity. You want balance in this whole thing. That was kind of my first thought. And then when there's thought about maybe some of the other uh, schools breaking away and forming something out here west, I thought, well, that could that could be interesting. So now you're playing some really elite football, and you have a west you know a west coast wing that could be good for the game. And now these kids don't have to all leave here. And so th- those are just some of the thoughts that I that I had had, but. Um, you know, it, it's it's certainly crazy. I mean, just how fast everything has changed on us. Um, I mean, I, I just the whole NIL thing, how that shook down so quickly, and like in one day, they're now saying coaches, administrators, you can have nothing to do with saying having any say in NIL um, opportunities for kids. You need to stay out of this. This is all about the boosters <laughs> and businesses. And I'm thinking my whole career, I can't remember how many hours I spent talking to our kids about the do's and don'ts and the NCAA rules and you cannot be involved and you cannot take a free meal and you cannot do this and that. And in like a snap of the fingers, it's like you guys are out. <laughs> they can do what they want to do. And I'm like, I don't get this. This is how can this be happening? You know, not that it's right or wrong, just that it changed so fast and with no real oversight on this thing. And so, yeah, I mean, we all know. I mean, I think it's three things, the money in the game. And I, I said this when I was coaching. So, I mean, I said this at Boise State. I said this at Washington. The money, the money in the game has changed, and it can really make things not better in, in the big picture. The salaries are paying the coaches, all those things. And so, but this is what's happened is the money's so big in this game now of college football. Then you couple that with an unsustainable business model that the athletic programs are having to use, that it's all about football paying all the bills. And then the third thing I would say is just, and this isn't to pile on anybody in particular, but it's just, you know, it's a lack of leadership. This is a really complicated issues, and if somebody's not in this, you know, at the NCAA level or the president's really having a great handle on how this thing can get, how the carpet can get pulled out from under, so to speak. I mean, the forces that are are out there are pretty strong, and it's just wild how things happen really quickly, and 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 you you feel like it's just out of control, and who march, and so. Kind of here we are. Chris, you, you hit on something I've been thinking about. Head coaches in this position that is really unique and different. You've got boosters and collectives that are offering seven-figure deals to players. Put yourself in the shoes of, you know, one of the coaches you're advising. You know, can can you sit a kid? Do you have to play a kid that's getting a seven-figure deal? Does that wow. factor? I mean, do you have those conversations? 
That's, I mean, how about that, John? I mean, does, yeah, do people think about that, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, they know you want a kid, you're not really involved with it, but somebody else pays all this money to get him here, and then he's not good enough or ready to play at that time, or, you know, the discipline thing that goes along with college athletes, oh, you're going to sit in. Yeah, how does that work out? And so, it, like I said, it is complicated. It is nuanced. And it takes a lot of skill to navigate. I mean, I think, you know, to answer your question, kind of. I mean, I think you just have to have a very strong belief and philosophy on how you are going to run your program. And whether people like it or don't, you got to be true and authentic to who you are and how you feel like this thing should go the best and not compromise on because somebody's making a lot of money and another kid is not that that's going to dictate anything. Speaking of being authentic, Chris, first college football season in decades without Mike Leach a part of it. Mm. Your thoughts? Ooh, yeah. Um, hmm. Well, I I think this game, like I I was thinking about the other day, like I know pro football is – you know, head and shoulders, America's sport, when you talk about viewership, money, all that kind of stuff. But the feelings of college football, like it's just so crazy. It's just, they're just so unique. You don't, and I love, I love pro football, but, and I love watching pro football, I should say, and, and all those things. Um, but the feelings that are like brought out in college football, the uniqueness, the storyline, they just seem so different than any other sport. Um, you know, I think this, about the crazy stuff that's going on in Colorado, that how cool that is for the game of football. It's just awesome. And there's just no question about it that Mike Leach was just awesome for this game. I mean, and you said, John, like being authentic, like I know he, I knew him up close and personal. Everybody, you know, would put out the sound bites of him talking about getting married or Halloween candy or whatever, <laughs> and that—that that is just him. Like you'd start to have a conversation with just you two or whatever, and all of a sudden, somehow we're talking about like you know canoeing down, like the best canoes you can buy, and that conversation would go on for thirty. And I'm like, like what? I really don't care about canoeing, or you know, <laughs> can we talk about something different? But he would just get focused on some random thing and he wanted to talk about all kinds of random things really as long as it wasn't about football if we ever had a conversation about football um in terms of x's and o's or this or that and i always admired him so much from afar the system that he ran that i always kind of wanted you know that it was just you know there's a lot of differences in our styles and systems um, to not get into the weeds on that. But I always thought, gosh, that would be so cool to run something like that. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't know it. I don't, I don't know it. He grew up with it. You know, he invented half of it. Um, I just didn't know it. But So, yeah, that's a, that's a hard one to not have him around. You, you touched on Colorado and Coach Prime. I was surprised. I think a lot of people were surprised at how they looked on Saturday. What did you make of week one in Colorado? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. You know, so I've been like everybody else, you know, for the last handful. Colorado's got no chance. Like, 
they just don't have the guys there yet. They don't have the competitive depth. Now, the one thing I did know is brilliant hire. I mean, as good as I've seen. And, you, I mean, forget about week one, just like the buzz that it created. So that alone is something. The second thing is he hired some really good coaches, some really good yep. coaches there. So you're thinking, okay, <laughs> that's another, you know, ace in the back of his pocket there. And then what we really didn't know is, um, you know, the talent that he was actually assembling there. Because some of them come from, you know, just all different levels of football and programs that don't have some of those marquee names that are good players. And um, and then having time to put it all together, you know, because a lot of those guys didn't get there until the summertime. And so I'm thinking, yeah, I was like everybody else. Yeah, I don't think so. And then I listened to all the interviews, not all of them, but a lot of them that he was doing over the last three weeks or so. And I woke up on Saturday and I told the guys this at Fox. I'm like, I'm kind of a believer right now. I don't know if he brainwashed me or what, but I'm like, I'm thinking they got a chance. And a few months ago, I was thinking, no way. And sure enough. But so I was so intrigued. I'm like, I cannot wait to see this. This just his first game. And so I was blown away like everybody else was going, wow the beauty of college football and the storylines and the characters that this game, you know, has in it. It's just, there's nothing like it. So handicap what you see of the PAC 12 this season for us here, put on your, your Fox analyst hat here. And, and uh, what do you think? Cause it, it seems like it's going to be an epic season. Uh, there's certainly the, the backdrop of, of what's going to happen start next year, but for the next three months, what do you expect? I mean, to me, isn't that the irony of this whole thing? I mean, yeah. of course. Of course. The Pac-12 is finally here. You know, we've kind of gone away for the last few years, at least with everybody else's national mind. And now it's like we have quarterbacks. We have elite talent, skills. we got some beef in the lines. We have a handful of five to six teams that are all really, really pretty good. And even the teams that you put before the season starts below that can do some things. They're going to knock some people off. And so I'm thinking, of course, we finally get here and it's going away after this year. But I think, I think my, my only thing is, and I've thought this for a long time, is that I think, um, you know, the SEC is a little bit of a different beast. But for the most part, you need to just have one or two elite teams in the conference, and then it helps your conference. Yeah. In terms of the that, you know, and so the Pac 12s had this parody. We've had a couple pretty good teams, but they're but not enough to separate ourselves, so then they knock each other off. And I think there could be some of that going on again this year. That there's not we don't have that true um you know, one team that's just head and shoulders that they're off if they're off for a, a game or two has enough talent across the board that if they're if they're if they're not throwing their fastball if they got their b game going that they can still survive and win if they're playing another one of these maybe six teams that i was talking about so that's my my little bit concerned but when you think about the acc it's been clemson so acc is pretty good because clemson's always in there you know the big 10 well michigan ohio state you know there it's one of those two teams and um and then you know even the big 12s had Texas and Oklahoma doing some things and 
And so the Pac-12 just hasn't had that team. Um, but I, I just think it's, you know, for, for football in general and just the fun of the game and what's going to happen this weekend, I mean, it couldn't be any better. In my mind, it's just going to be fun because there's going to be some really competitive, great games with a lot of skill before our eyes. Um, so I can't wait to watch it. You know Jonathan Smith as well as anybody working with him and mentoring him some. But he's a, he's in an interesting position here with this season, this final season, and a really good team and some momentum. Can you put yourself in his shoes a little bit? And you know him. The, the task that it would be to keep your team focused amid, you know, your conference is imploding and you're not part of the future anywhere right now. Yeah. Well, thank Thank, thank our stars, or thank you know. I'm sure they're thanking their stars right now that at least they're playing games. And th- those kids don't—they really don't need to worry about anything other than just developing skill, playing their best week in and week out. Because nothing's going to happen anyways. They can't make any decisions. They can't—they don't even know what's going to happen. So, just all in on the season, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of figure out what's up after, and that's what's going to happen. I'm sure there'll be some clarity before the season's out. There's got to be, for their sake. Um. Yeah, and so I I will tell you this. I feel out of all, everything that's going on on all this realignment, and I'm probably missing somebody here that's, you know, in the huge realignment game, but the two schools that I feel the worst for is certainly Oregon State and Washington State because I've felt like those administrations are committed to being as good as they possibly can be, that they're going to throw all their resources you know, at those football programs and um, try to be the best they can be to compete, to stay, have a spot at the table. And, you know, you look at the facilities that are built over at Washington State and all the changes that they did when, you know, certainly Mike Leach was there and, you know, what's going on now. And then I was down at Oregon State, a, you know, a couple of weeks ago and to see that stadium completed that Scott Barnes and company have built and with not a ton of debt that goes with that thing. I mean, it's spectacular. I mean, they have done everything in their power to remain a player in this. And then, you know, like you said, Jonathan Smith got these guys ranked, you know, inside the top 20, and they get the rug pulled out from under them. They're going to have to adjust and adapt, which they will. But you talk about life not being fair. That's not fair what happened to those guys. Have you gotten your – have you been able to kind of grasp – because I haven't, you know, that – was Oregon Oregon State against Boise State could be a conference game. Washington against Purdue is going to be a conference game. ASU against Baylor is I mean it just it it just kind of feels a little surreal still to me. <laughs> yeah, no no doubt. I mean, yeah, I, I no question. I mean, Ohio State, you know, Ohio State rolling into like Husky Stadium one week and the next week Michigan's rolling in and then, you know, Penn state and then, and then Maryland co- and wait, what? And, and, and this is in late October. This isn't a preseason game. That's what it, it is. I, I don't know if anyone's wrapped their mind around that yet. I mean, we're just, but um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's been crazy. I think all this conference thing that we're looking at right now is just a placeholder for a handful of years. It just seems like, you know, but again, I, I what do I know? Um, you know well, what you do guys, you think, you, though? But what what do you so <laughs> eight year eight ten years from now? Do you think there's going to be like a, a mini NFL and then everybody else? I mean, the one thing 
the one thing that is pretty apparent is, um, you know, all the speculation. Um, we're missing something that's going to happen, you know, in that time. Something big as this thing keeps evolving. You know, there's there might be a little speculation about something, and no one pays attention to it. And yep, sure enough, that happens. I do. I think some of the. I think there's going to be a bunch of teams that break away. The football breaks away. And whoever wants to play at this highest, highest level and pay players and, you know, collective bargaining and all type of things to keep the courts all happy. And whoever wants to get in that game is going to cost a lot of money. And you better have the resources to back it up. And let's, let's go do that. And then everybody else falls back and does college athletics as we kind of know it. Like, like NIL, on the surface – is a really good thing. These kids use their name, image, and likeness to sell a T-shirt, to do a function, to be paid. Normal person in their situation that's got a little notoriety should be paid. Like, all that is really good. I remember back in the day when I was at Boise State, and I don't know if you remember this name, Ian Johnson, one of our running backs. The guy was not only a really good running back, he crocheted. He, he was very good at crocheting, <laughs> and he made like fifteen orange and blue cro- hats, and he wanted to sell them. Put them out on the internet and sell them. Well, you know how that went over. That was not <laughs> happening to get fifteen dollars for a hat because he had made them. And it's like you're like, wait, what? Or you know, like some of the kids being involved with charities to raise money for like these charities. Nope, can't. I mean, it made no sense. And so this is what we get when it made no sense. You know, there's like, there's no forward thinking to like be in front of this to do what's right. And then all of a sudden the whole thing gets flipped. And so now you got NIL that on the surface and for a lot of sports and kids, it's, it's fine. But for football, all you're doing is buying players anyways. And that's not what this thing's about. And so if we're going to do that, let's just have those teams go form a league and set up rules that we can all live by, agree to, and play by, and then it can be policed by someone that can really hold them accountable, that's great. And then everybody else can can kind of fall back, and, you know, then you don't have to drag the golf team and the baseball team and the track team across the country multiple times. And, you know, the ADs, they're going to get creative and do the best they can for these kids and keep them – you know, away as short as possible, but it's a huge burden and much more of an expense. I mean, everybody knows right now this other school, the other sports should not have broken away, but there's not, it's happened so fast that we can't get out in front of it to say, football, you go do your thing. Everybody else is staying put, and we're going to play this Pac-12 with all the other sports staying intact because the regional stuff makes way more sense, but it doesn't make sense for, you know, the big money is being thrown at football. I kept thinking this weekend, I was watching some of the scores. I mean, Portland State, Oregon, even Boise State, Washington. And I was thinking the money that's involved in Power Five Conference football is separating and creating this gap between Group of Five and Power Five. And, of course, they'll be part of the playoff. Maybe that changes. But I I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about what you did at Boise State and the way that you leveled the playing field with coaching and recruiting and developing. Do you think that's a more difficult task moving forward or in today's age? I, I, I really do. I mean, I do just from what I see, you know, I mean, we're still evolving this thing and I think it's going to be four years to really start to see what effect this has, but it looks like it's already having an effect. 
I mean, one of the things I just cannot stand what's going on right now is that, okay, whether it's boys, whatever school, does a really nice job, and this is a good player. And he's went to this school, and he's being developed, and then another school goes through the back channels and basically buys that kid right out of the locker room, the tampering that's going on, buying kids you know, off campuses. It's like, what, what are we doing here? Like, that's just not the right – that's not what this thing's set up. <laughs> There's nobody in this game that thinks that should happen, but it's, but it's happening. And then, you know, I kind of chuckle at this because the stuff that's going on in Michigan, um, you know, with this three-game suspension. And a handful of years ago, you know, I would have been all about that. I don't know the details of it. You know, met with a recruit when he shouldn't be, some similar stuff that was going on in Arizona State during COVID. But so now, how many years later is this? Four years? Four years later or something that, like, he's going to be suspended for games, and then you got – people poaching other players out of locker rooms and buying them and playing them. But yet we're going to suspend a coach for three games for something that happened four years ago. Like we're not even making sense here. Like we're going to go after problems. Let's go after the real problems. I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around like what is really going on here and what are the rules and are the rules and why would it take four years to solve any infraction I, I don't I don't understand this. And maybe it's just because I don't know enough. I don't know. Chris, we'll let you go soon here, but a couple a couple more if you don't mind. I'm just curious as to how you know your thinking has evolved in the it's almost three year four years now since since you stepped away. In terms of what do you see for yourself in the I are you loving T V? You wanna do T V for a couple of decades do you maybe want to get back into coaching at a lower level where it's a little bit more <laughs> of what you what you remember the the joy that you remember in coaching what do you see for for yourself you know how they always they always say like you, you you can never step into the same river twice because you're not the same and the river's not the same you know all these yeah. nostalgic memories we have about me coaching the UC like it wouldn't even be the same there it's not I know Dan you know Dan Hawkins doing a great job down at Davis and it, it's a bunch of different problems for them down there I will tell you this I mean I, I'm passionate about the college game it's about football I'm passionate about kids I'm you know passionate about you know, um, the difficult job that um, leaders have in um, today's society, like whether it's sports or whatever, it's like I just have a lot of, lot of admiration when I see someone that I think is really, you know, a great coach or leader, a combination of both. Like I, that, that's super inspiring to me. Um, so I like somehow staying connected to that world. Um, you know, I used to always think Myself, you go into a locker room, a team room, and you're trying to make an impact with 120 guys plus a bunch of coaches and administrators, another 50, and you're really trying to make an impact, not just on you know winning games, but just in, in you know for future, you know helping them with future thinking down the road, and um, like hopefully that the experience that they're having, you know, at this four or five years of their time is going to be like a really game changing event in their life. Like I super um, always appreciated that. That was the reason that I, the main reason that I was always staying in coaching. And so it's trying to make an impact. And so now I just think I, I 
think about trying to make an impact in a different way. Like I, I'd like to get to the leaders that are, that are, you know, that they have locker rooms. And so if I can get the one guy that has an impact on 150 people and then another person that has an impact on 150 people and another, you know, like I think I can make more of an impact that way. And yep. I don't want the impact to be like a public thing or, uh, you know, like the coaching world so public that <laughs> that was always a drawback for me. So that has nothing to do with, you know, where I had in terms of, where I'm trying to go, but I do want to make an impact with people that are doing important things with, um, you know, in the sporting world, because I still just think it's just, there's just so much, um, I mean, I, I might be, you know, old and a lot of cliches and corny and all, all this type of stuff, nostalgia, and that's not the reality. I still think that, like, this sport platform done correctly, used correctly, can make such a positive impact in a lot of people's lives. I just, I just see it. And so getting back to – sorry for this another long-winded answer, but um, I just think the last going on four years now of stepping away, I have gotten so much more clarity. I have had a chance to be around so many elite leaders, coaches, and learn from them. Um, that if I was ever to coach, I think I'd be a much different coach. Um, just a lot that has to do with perspective on this whole thing. And um, so I don't think I need to necessarily go back into coaching to make an impact with a lot of people that I still care about. As you're talking about that, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the fact that you're coaching the coaches now, and I'm wondering who – who that mentor was to, and I suspect it may have been your dad, but we always like to ask best piece of advice that you ever received. Hmm. <laughs> that, that's too hard. <laughs> um, I mean, I got binders of best pieces of advice that I ever received. If I would have just <laughs> followed them and paid attention to them, I would tell you this. Okay. So when I was leaving, when I was leaving, you see, you know, because, okay, part of this journey, right, over my 30-plus years in coaching, <laughs> and then stepping away, and then all the things I've learned in the last handful of years of being away, you know, and I'm kind of – and there's a lot of lessons. In fact, I have a talk that I give that I call the illusions of achievement. And it's kind of all the things that I went through, all the struggles I went through I just couldn't make sense of. And then, you know, looking back, start to get clarity on that. But when I left UC Davis way back in the day, I went to the University of Pittsburgh, and Paul Hackett was the head coach there then. And the connection and the irony between that whole – that Paul and I was that Paul played for Jim Soker and Bob Foster at UC Davis, two basically Hall of Fame football coaches. He played for them early in, in Coach Foster and Coach Soker's career. I come 20 years later. So I'm playing for these guys and coaching with them towards the end of their careers. And so I coached for a couple of years at Davis, and then I decide I'm going to give this coaching thing a go. And so I go back to, to Pittsburgh to interview with Paul Hackett. So we have this Davis connection with these coaches. And so I interview all day long. It's all football, all this stuff. And at the end of the day, he sits me down, and he's like, okay, so – why tell me why do you want to leave Davis and come here with me? Now Paul Hackett had already coached in Super Bowls. He coached with Bill Walsh and Joe Montana in the Super Bowls. He'd been with Tom Landry. He coached in the NFL like the who's who, the best of the best. Still head coach of Pittsburgh. He's been around. 
And he's going, so why do you want to come here and coach with me at Pittsburgh? And I'm like, well, coach, you know, I did that. This is what I want to do, and I want to coach with the best. I want to be with the best. I want to learn from the best. I think iron sharpens iron. I want to recruit at the highest level, and, you know, I'm giving those things. And he looks at me and goes, let me just tell you something. You're going to be leaving the best place that you've ever going to coach at. And I'm looking at him like, I'm thinking, does he know where I'm at? And he goes, coaches that you're with, game-changing coaches. Like, they get it. They know what this thing should be about. So you're going to be with them. All your life that you can have and still coach at this level. You're going to recruit wonderful kids. You're going to win a lot. The balance in your life, the co- it's not going to be any better than where you are. And I said, yeah, I don't care about that. I want to be with you. And he sh- laughed and he shook his head and he said, you're just like the rest of us. And so <laughs> I should have listened. To- and I'm not saying that me leaving, because I would have left. I mean, I, you just got to, you know, everybody's got to go kill their own snakes. Um, but to not, th- there's so much wisdom that was told to me and all of us throughout our journey that we kind of blow off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we don't really take it to heart. And if we would and open our ears and close our mouth more and just really listen to people, I think our paths would be uh, easier to navigate because they've already been through it. And we think we're, you know, trailblazers. Yeah, if you would listen to that stuff, Chris, maybe you would have made something out of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I keep telling myself. That's what I keep telling myself. Look, we cannot thank you enough. I mean, this has been fantastic. Uh, certainly educational for me, uh, and I'm sure our listeners are gonna are gonna love it because your perspective on on football and on life is is uh, you know the top of the top of the charts. Can't thank you enough. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate all you guys do. You guys are on this stuff really good, and uh, I really I admire your guys' work as well. No, I, th- I think all the stuff you're talking about and being happy where you are, I think it applies to more than football. I mean, you should be coaching everybody. You know, life coach Chris Peterson. How much do you charge? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm telling you, like, that's why, like, when I do, I go to, like, and I, get, I got, like, a workshop, and, you know, like, it, it's just all the same. You know, I think this environment that we live in in, we're, in the sporting world is, like, you know, we're everybody's so myopically focused on it, but we all have the same issues. It's all the same stuff for the most part. You know, everybody's trying to figure it out, how to find more joy and fulfillment and, you know, appreciate this one lap around the track that we all have. And that's the thing, you know, and I just feel like, you know, maybe in the arena that I was in and that some of us are in, like you go through the the school of hard knocks, just more intensely, faster, I don't know. And, you know, if you can figure it out and not blow yourself up in the process, amen to you. And hopefully, you know, you can share those lessons that could help somebody else, I guess. Thanks. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, have a good fall. Take care. You too. Bye now. Bye. And there he goes. John Wilner, your rapid reaction to Chris Peterson. Phenomenal. You know, and and you you knew it would be the guy. He's just, uh, he's different, right? And the the reason that he left coaching is what what makes him, and the reason he was frustrated and – you know, needed a change. That's all part of the reason that he's got, you know, incredible perspective on 
college football and and on life, right? I mean, it's just there's nobody like him, I don't think. I think it's really interesting. He's a coach, and it's evident that the the transformation of the game, it's a different job. I mean, the head coach in a major college uh, conference or co- college program is a different job than the job that Chris Peterson had at Boise State and UC Davis, and he did it. And I think I find it interesting that we're seeing more coaches like Chris Peterson and David Shaw and maybe some others, even in other sports, that are going, hey, I've made enough money to walk away, and this isn't the job that it was when I started in this business. And he's got the um, he's got the awareness to to make a pivot in his career in his life. But he but he's still coaching. He's coaching the coaches now. Yeah, and you know what? That's a really smart thing because it's a little bit like the telephone game, right? He's telling one person, and they're telling uh, you know 120, and then those kids all take it and run with it. it it's smart, and I can see why he thinks that that role is the best way for him to influence folks in college sports is to is to coach the coaches rather than getting back and just being in a locker room with with one group of of 120 kids i i think it's going to be interesting you know to see where it all goes but i think chip kelly chris peterson some other coaches are all talking around the same thing the the separation of major college football and by the way who's part of that and i appreciate everybody who has listened to this episode, share it with your friends. I think there's some great life advice. Hell, I got something out of there when he's talking about, you know, the job fulfillment. And I think just a lot of people in, in general are are uh, on that same journey, whether you're a football coach or whatever, you're an electrician, you know, whatever job that you're doing. But make sure you subscribe to this podcast. And uh, we'll be back with another episode later this week that will give our picks for the weekend. Pac-12 coming off a perfect week one. Will they stay perfect, John Wilner? We'll have to answer that coming up. Uh, For Wilner and myself, I thank you for listening.